Chapter Three of the Diamond Pin by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Three, the evidence of the checkbook. Winston Bannard's apartments in New York were comfortable, though not luxurious. The Caxton annex catered to young bachelors who were not millionaires but who liked to live pleasantly, and Bannard had been contentedly ensconced there ever since he had left his aunt's home he had always been glad he had made the move for the city life was far more to his liking than the village ways of berrien and if his law practice could not be called enormous it was growing and he had developed some real ability of late he had fallen in with a crowd of men much richer than himself and association with them had led to extravagance in the matter of cards for high stakes motors of high cost and high living generally the high cost of living is undeniable and bannard not infrequently found himself in financial difficulties of more or less depth and importance as he entered his room sunday evening about seven he found a telegram and a telephone notice from the hotel office the latter merely informed him that berrien connecticut had called him at four o'clock the telegram read for heaven's sake come up here at once aunt ursula is dead it was signed iris and bannard read it standing by the window to catch the gleams of fading daylight then he sank into a chair and read it over again though he now knew it by rote he was not at all stunned his alert mind travelled quickly from one thought to another and for ten minutes his tense strained position his set jaw and his occasionally winking eyes betokened successive cogitations on matters of vital importance then he jumped up looked at his watch consulted a time-table and not waiting for an elevator ran down the stairs through that atmosphere of sunday afternoon quiet which is perhaps nowhere more noticeable than in a city hotel a taxicab a barely caught train and before nine o'clock winston bannard was at the berrien railroad station campbell was there to meet him and as they drove to the house bannard sat beside the chauffeur that he might learn details of the tragedy but i don't understand campbell bannard said how could she be murdered alone in her room with the door locked did she didn't she kill herself but the chauffeur was close-mouthed i don't know mr bannard he returned it's all mighty queer and the detective told me not to gossip or chatter about it at all but my stars man it isn't gossip to tell me all there is to tell but there's nothing to tell the bare facts you know i've told you those as to the rest the police or miss iris must tell you you're right agreed bannard i'm glad you are not inclined to guess or surmise there must be some explanation of course how about the windows well you know those windows mr bannard they're as securely barred as the ones in the bank and more so ever since mrs pell took that room for her treasure room about eight or ten years ago they've been protected by steel lattice-work and that's untouched that settles the windows and there's only the one door and that purdy and i broke open now that's all i know about it bannard relapsed into silence and campbell didn't speak again until they reached the house oh i'm so glad you've come was the first greeting to the young man as he entered the hall at pelbrook it was spoken by mrs bowen who had been with iris ever since she was summoned by telephone that afternoon it's all so dreadful the doctors are examining the body now and the coroner is here and two detectives and iris is so queer 
the poor little lady quite broke down in her relief at having someone to share her responsibility isn't mr bowen here bannard said as he followed her into the living-room no he had to attend service he'll come after church here is iris the girl did not rise at bannard's approach but sat looking up at him her face full of inquiry where have you been she demanded why didn't you come sooner i telegraphed at four o'clock i telephoned first but they said they said you were out i was i only came in at seven and then i found your messages and i caught the first train possible it doesn't matter said iris wearily there's nothing you can do nothing anybody can do oh win it's horrible of course it is iris but i'm so in the dark tell me all about it oh i can't i can't seem to talk about it mrs bowen will tell you the little lady told all she knew and then one of the detectives appeared to question bannard he explained his presence and told who he was and then asked to go into his aunt's sitting-room not just now said the man whose name was hughes the doctors are busy and there with the coroner why so late asked bannard what have they been doing all the afternoon dr little came at once explained mrs bowen he's her own doctor you know but that coroner dr timkin never got here till this evening why here's mr chapin charles chapin who was mrs pell's lawyer entered and also mr bowen so there was quite a group in waiting when the doctors came out of the closed room it is the strangest case imaginable said coroner timkin his face white and terrified there's not the least possibility of suicide and yet there's no explanation for a murder why do you say that asked chapin who had heard little of the details the body is terribly injured there are livid bruises on her chest shoulders and upper arms there are marks on her wrists as if she had been bound by ropes and similar marks on her ankles incredible cried mr chapin bound the marks can mean nothing else they are as if cords had been tightly drawn and on one ankle the stocking is slightly stained with blood what exclaimed mrs bowen yes and the flesh beneath the stain is abraded round the ankle and the skin broken the other ankle shows slight marks of the cord but it did not cut into the flesh on that side her wrists too show red marks and indentations as of cords it is inexplicable but the bruises pursued mr chapin and the awful wound on her face there is no doubt that she was attacked for the purpose of robbery moreover the thief was looking for something in particular it is clear that he stole money or valuables but the state of the desk and safe prove a desperate hunt for some paper or article of special value also the pocket cut and torn from the skirt proves a determination to secure the treasure as we reconstruct the crime the intruder intimidated mrs pell by threats and by physical violence tied her while search was made through her room and then in a rage of disappointment flung the old lady to the floor where she hit her head on a sharp-pointed brass knob of the fender this penetrated her temple and caused her death these things are facts also the state of the room the overturned table and chairs the broken lamp the ransacked desk and safe all these are facts but what theory can account for the disappearance of the murderer from the locked room there was no answer until detective hughes said 
i've always been told that the more mysterious and insoluble a crime seems to be the easier it is to solve it you have eh returned the coroner then get busy on this one it's beyond me why that woman's wrist is sprained if not broken she has some internal injuries and she was suffering from shock and fright the attack was diabolical it may be that the murder was unpremeditated but the mauling and bruising of the old lady was the work of a strong man and a hardened wretch why didn't she scream sooner asked hughes who was listening intently he had been detailed on other duties while his confrere investigated the scene of the crime gagged probably answered timkin there are slight marks at the corners of her mouth which indicate a gag was used for a time at least how long was it he said abruptly turning to iris that your aunt was in that room alone i mean alone so far as you knew i don't know i was up in my room all the time after dinner and i don't know what time it was when they called me i seem to have lost all track of time don't bother the girl said mrs bowen polly you tell about the time the servants were in and out of the room now clustered at the doorway now hurrying off on errands and back again it must have been about half-past three when i heard her scream said polly or maybe a bit earlier but not much i was in the dining-room settin the sideboard to rights after dinner and i heard her holler and you went to the door at once yes just as quick as i could but the door was locked was that usual yes sir she often locks it when she takes a nap sunday afternoons and then i went and called Bertie, and we couldn't get in yes i know about the barred windows and so on did you hear any further sounds from mrs bell some sort of movin around and faint moanins but the truth is we thought she was a foolin us fooling you yes sir mrs bell she was great for chokin many's the time she's hollered help polly and when i'd get there she'd laugh fit to kill at me she was that way sir she was always foolin us is this true asked timkin turning to the others they all corroborated polly's statements even chapin the lawyer told of jests and tricks his wealthy client had played on him and winston bannard declared he had suffered so much from his aunt's whims that he had been forced to move away and you miss clyde did she so tease you indeed she did said iris i think i was her favourite victim scarcely a day passed that she did not annoy and distress me by some practical joke you know about the ink this noon she turned to mrs bowen yes said that lady but she looked grave and thoughtful but surely pursued the coroner one could tell the difference between the screams of a victim in mortal agony and those of a jest no sir and polly shook her head mrs pell was that clever she'd make you think that she'd been hurt awful when she was just trickin you but anyway sir me and purdy we did all we could and we couldn't get in then campbell he come and helped to break down the door and you're sure the murderer couldn't have slipped through as he opened the door not a chance spoke up campbell we smashed it open the lock just splintered out of the jam as you can see for yourself and we all gathered in a clump on this side no sir the room was quiet as death and empty save for mrs pell herself and she was dead then yes sir 
asseverated purdy solemnly i ain't no doctor but i made sure she was dead she died within a minute or so she was most as warm as in life and the blood was still a-flowin from her head where she was struck did you move anything in the room no sir only so much as was necessary to get round the table that was upset had an electric lamp on it which had a long dangling green cord cause it was put in after the regular wirin was done i coiled up that air cord and picked up the pieces of broken glass so we could step around but i left the bag and pocket-book and all just where they was flung and the litter from the desk all over the floor i didn't touch that neither nor i didn't touch the body purdy's voice faltered and his old eyes filled with tears you did well commended the coroner nodding his head kindly at him just one more question was mrs pell in her usual good spirits yesterday did she do anything or say anything that seemed out of the ordinary no and purdy shook his head i don't think so do you polly not that i noticed said his wife she cut up an awful trick on miss iris but that wasn't to say unusual what was it and the coroner listened to an account of the date with ink in it the story was told by mrs bowen as iris refused to talk at all a pretty mean trick was the coroner's opinion didn't you resent it miss clyde she did not spoke up the rector in a decided way miss clyde is a young woman of too much sense and also of too much affection for her dear aunt to resent a good-humoured jest good-humoured jest exclaimed hughes going some a jest like that spoilin a young girl's pretty sunday frock never mind hughes reproved timkin we're not judging mrs pell's conduct now this is an investigation a preliminary inquiry rather but not a judgment seat miss clyde i must ask that you answer me a few questions you left your aunt's presence directly after your guests had departed within a few moments of their leaving she was then in her usual health and good spirits so far as i know any conversation passed between you only a little amicable what do you mean by that friendly affectionate not quarrelsome it was not exactly affectionate as i told her i was displeased at her spoiling my gown ah and what did she say that she would buy me another did that content you i wasn't discontented i was annoyed at her unkind trick and i told her so that is all of course that is all again interrupted mr bowen i can answer for the cordial relationship between aunt and niece and i can vouch for the fact that these merry jests didn't really stir up dissension between these two estimable people why only to-day mrs pell was dilating on the wonderful legacy she meant to bestow on miss clyde she also referred to a jewelled chalice for my church and i am sure these remarks were in no way prompted by any thought of immediate death on the contrary she was in gayer spirits than i have ever seen her i think she was over-excited said mrs bowen thoughtfully don't you iris she was giggling in an almost hysterical manner it seemed to me i didn't notice said iris wearily aunt ursula was a creature of moods 
she was grave or gay without apparent reason i put up with her silly jokes usually but to-day's performance seemed unnecessary and unkind however it doesn't matter now no declared winston bannard and it does no good to rake over the old lady's queer ways we all know about her habit of playing tricks and i for one don't wonder that polly thought she screamed out to trick somebody nor does it matter if polly hadn't thought that she couldn't have done any more than she did to get into that room as soon as possible could she now no agreed the coroner nor does it really affect our problem of how the murder was committed let me have a look into that room said bannard suddenly you a detective asked timpkin not a bit of it but i want to see its condition come on in said the other they've put mrs pell's body on the couch but except for that nothing's been touched hughes went in with bannard and the coroner and the three men were joined by lawyer chapin silently they took in the details the still figure on the couch with face solemnly covered seemed to make conversation undesirable hughes alertly moved about peering at things but touching almost nothing bannard and mr chapin stood motionless gazing at the evidences of crime got a cigarette whispered hughes to bannard and mechanically the young man took out his case and offered it the detective took one and then continued his minute examination of the room and its appointments at last he sat down in front of the desk and began to look through such papers as remained in place there were many pigeonholes and compartments which held small memorandum books and old letters and stationery hughes opened and closed several books and then suddenly turned to bannard with this question you haven't been up here to-day have you mr bannard i mean before you came up this evening N no certainly not was the answer and the man looked decidedly annoyed what are you getting at mr hughes oh nothing where have you been all day mr bannard in new york city not been out of it i went out this morning for a bicycle ride my favorite form of exercise am i being quizzed you are you state that you were not up here in this room this afternoon about three o'clock i certainly do affirm that why because i observe here on the desk a half-smoked cigarette of the same kind you just gave me and you think that is incriminating evidence a little far-fetched mr hughes also on this chair is a new york paper of to-day's date and not the one that is usually taken in this house indeed but winston bannard had turned pale and continued hughes holding up a check-book this last stub in mrs pell's check-book shows that she made out to you to-day a check for five thousand dollars what cried mr chapin yes sir a check-stub in mrs pell's own writing dated to-day where is that check mr winston bannard and when did you get it and why did you kill your aunt afterward what were you searching this room for come sir speak up End of chapter three